In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One note about today's saint of note. There are many saints on every day. Today's most notable saint, St. Charles Borromeo, whose commemoration isn't even included in the Mass, though, on this Sunday. He was uh, Archbishop of Milan and one of the great holy reformers of the church. Like many of the bishops who ended up being saints because they reformed their clergy, they were loved by the faithful and feared by their priests. They were not, these were not huggers. Um, so St. Charles Borromeo, among his liturgical interventions to safeguard decorum and the dignity of the sacred liturgy, mandated in the Archdiocese of Milan that the chasuble may be no shorter than the wrist. The chasuble must at least touch the wrist of the priest. He was scandalized at how short and how restricted the chasubles had become creeping up the forearm to the elbow, above the elbow. You've heard of other styles that were permitted later on um, for that time in his archdiocese. They were forbidden. So this green chasuble and my red chasuble are, are of the Borromeo style. So there's a point at the front and a point at the back because it's a conical vestment that's been, that's been trimmed uh, just up to the wrist of the priest. Uh, that's the 16th century. So um, you can figure out the rest for yourself, what happened in the intervening uh, passage of time. So I especially want to um, remember St. Charles Borromeo today in the sanctuary, but also outside of the sanctuary because he's the patron saint uh, for many of our priests, especially our bishop, who all attended St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Overbrook, Pennsylvania. And so we pray for all of those bishops who begin their meetings today, tomorrow, in Baltimore, that they may be inspired uh, and guided and encouraged um, by the great saints, especially the great reformer bishops, and today especially St. Charles Borromeo. So there you have it. The love of our neighbor worketh no evil. Love, therefore, is the fulfilling of the law. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can never make the sign of the cross too many times. I have questions for you. Not all questions, but many questions. First of all, is there anyone here who does not try to love others better? All of us are trying that. All of us have tried that. Think about what that effort is like, what it usually entails. If I'm trying to love someone, it means I, um, I'm probably making a concerted effort to have the, the right attitude about them, not to complain about them. And I'm probably also doing things for them. Um, I'm doing things that benefit them. Maybe I'm praying for them. It's probably a good start. We'll get back to that. 
And those are all very good things. I encourage you to keep on doing those things. A suggestion I might make is that the love of neighbor, which is so easily only concerned with desiring their good, can become, for some of us, a transaction and forgets that love also includes to delight in the other. And so when we make the effort to love the other person, part of it is, uh, only part of it, can be a matter of our effort to do things, to think a certain way. Part of it is just a question of whether or not we are already. Let me explain my meaning. A good first step in beginning to love our neighbor or loving someone better is to admit, I don't love them. There's, there is nothing gained by pretending to love someone that I don't because somehow it sounds like I'm not even Christian when I say I don't love that person. It sounds pretty devastating. But we have to be able to say that if we're going to fix it. It's similar to times in the confessional when I'm not the one doing most of the talking, usually. Um, but occasionally, if someone says, and I don't know why that happened, or, and I'm surprised that happened again, I usually call a timeout and say, hold on a second, we need to talk about this. Um, the reason why you commit that sin is because you like it. And until you're ready to admit that, nothing's ever going to change. That's why you do things. You do things because you like them. You regret it afterwards. Good. You have a good conscience. Poison tastes really good sometimes. So, end of time out. Let's continue on. Honesty has to be the starting point. Sometimes I have to admit, I do not love that person. And so, the work begins to desire their good, to do good things for them, to do things that benefit them, but also just simply recognizing, do I really delight in them? I can't I can't fake that. So how well I love someone is both an activity and also um, something out of my control. Not completely, though. The Lord teaches us to love. It's a commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. No commandments are greater than these. So ask yourself this question. Does God give us commandments that are opposed to our nature or that fulfill our nature? Is this something extrinsic, has nothing to do with us, it's just superimposed and forced upon us, but we got to do it because God's God. 
Or does God give us commandments that actually recognize how we were made and establish a rule so that our nature comes to fulfillment, so that we become who God made us to be? That's different, little aside, from becoming your better self. That can be perfectly Christian, understood well, to, be, to fulfill your vocation better, to let God perfect you. Very good. But sometimes people are in the mode of becoming a better version of themselves because it's, uh, it's more um, um, pleasing to them or to others. But sometimes it just means making their bad habits more palatable. We're not talking about that, of course. So I'm not talking about a kind of self-fulfillment where I become the person that I've always wanted to be. Um, Hopefully you know me well enough to realize that's not what I mean. But what I'm getting at is, does God's law reveal something about how we were made? Okay, you know the answer to that question, then. It means that loving God with our whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, loving our neighbors, ourself, we were made to do that. Were it not for original sin, were it not for wounds, were it not for our own personal sin and a lack of grace, we would love effortlessly. We were made to do that. So as much as loving God and loving neighbor is a matter of my effort, or so I think it is, it's also a matter of removing the things that are getting in the way of what my soul wants to do and was made to do. Do you need instructions when a newborn baby is put into your arms to love that baby? No, you do not. It's automatic until the baby starts doing something like talking or using a credit card. <laughs> and along those lines, let's consider what it means to love God. What, what do I, if I'm going to love God better, what does that even mean? Can't do anything for him. Can't pray for him. Can't get him something he doesn't already have. We're definitely in the realm of delighting in the other. And there's something beautiful about how all of this reveals that we were made to do something we're incapable of it without God's grace. God not only gives us his grace so that we're able to do something which on a natural level, on a human level, makes us better and moral, but even there's something truly supernatural about the, the love of the love that God infuses in us and then draws us not only to a, a, a divine love of him, a divine love of each other as well. It, there, there's a dissatisfaction with our life without love. If we turn to God for that love, 
he, he more than fulfills what, what we seem to be lacking. Because then we love others with a divine love. And so it's back in prayer, as I alluded to earlier, it's back in prayer that we do have a further answer to what's going on. It's one thing to say words and say, God, I'm interceding for this person. Let these words or my dispositions count for that person. That's beautiful, and it's very hard work. And the more we do that, the more we may very well come to love that person because I've spent time literally in their shoes as though I were them lifting up my soul to God as though it were theirs and allowing whatever grace or benefit or merit that comes down to to go to them, not to me. And somehow in that process, hopefully we come to actually begin to see that person and love that person and delight in that person. And so as much as the inability to love or the lack of love comes from all of the things that have been superimposed and are suffocating and preventing us and binding us, there's also something that prevents us from seeing that person. If I, see, if I were to actually see that person, truly, I would love that person. It, w- it wouldn't even take effort. If I see that person as God sees that person, then I would love that person. A lot of that original sin, personal sin, wounds, lack of grace, so many other things, laziness, vanity, pride, ambition, lust, greed, avarice, they're, they're, also, they're not only impeding the activities of my soul, they're, they're also interfering with my ability to actually see that person. Likewise, then, for the person who has to admit, I don't love God, and quite a few people have to admit that. They don't love God. They don't, they don't delight in God. They don't recognize the goodness of God. They don't believe that God really loves them. But if we were to see God as God truly is, there would be nothing but love. It's not as though God has to change. In a sense, it's not as though I have to change. I do have to change, but the the things that are afflicting me need to be removed. And then I'll see God. And I'll love God. Some of the original angels did see God and didn't love him. It's worth a small aside. They were precisely those who could not bear God's generosity in loving others more than they deserve to be loved. The workers of the vineyard all getting the same wage and those who worked longer reacting violently because they wanted to get more than others. They thought they deserved more. On a natural level, they had a point. But they were, they were angry that someone was being generous, not that they had been given something less than they deserve. So it's to see God, to accept God's love, 
to be totally happy that God is also loving other people way more than they deserve to be loved. It's humility. It's gratitude. And a recognition that I'm already loved more than I deserve to be loved, so I am delighted to see others also being loved more than they deserve to be loved. So the fallen angels saw God but fell. And then a further aside on that about love. Is it possible, this is just for your consideration, that hunters have something to teach us about love even of the damned? Especially those damned who intend to do us harm, who obviously are not obedient to God, but can only be chained, prevented, constrained by God's force, as opposed to obedient to God's voice. Even when the hunter kills a lethal animal that must be put down, or at least has to be caged and chained, marvels at what a glorious creature that person is, that thing is. But there's no good that can be done for them. So there's nothing to be done. But God is glorified by all his creation. When we see something as it truly is, we come to have the right disposition about it. So we can't unthink thoughts that are unwelcome or unloving. And we can't force ourselves to delight in something But we can ask God to give us eyes to remove everything that prevents us from seeing him and each other, to remove from us all evil and all sin and all stain of sin and all scars of sin so that we will love. We ask him to give us humility and hope so that we stop putting ourselves down as though we can't love or are bad at it or won't ever be able to love someone. But in faith in how God made us and in hope that God fulfills his promises, we look forward to being able to love everybody as they deserve to be loved. In the meantime, we ask the Lord courage to try to love him as much as we're able never as much as he deserves to be loved. And it's his gift to us that we're given the desire for it and the ability to do it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.